I started off with love a week or so ago, and the theme is important, that all the commands is encapsulated in these two statements, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, understanding, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Everything about Christianity revolves and is attached to these two commands. It is in effect a command to love the Lord your God, to love your neighbor. It is a command. God doesn't ask you. If you feel like it, he tells you, just do it. It's, it's a command. It's do it. It's like clean your room. Just do it. But this has a much more profound effect. You are to love the Lord your God and you are to love your neighbors. It's really unreasonable for God to expect that from you if it was a feeling. Because you can't really control your feelings. Feelings are very difficult to control. Another pastor said, it's not like like. You like chocolate cake. You don't love chocolate cake. But you don't like God. You love God. It's a decision. We learn to like things. I don't like my wife. I love my wife. I started loving her because I started with liking her. It's, it's helpful. Don't marry what you don't like. That's just making life tough for yourself. Don't do that. But, but it is a command. God commands us to love him. He commands us to love him. And then that, that command still rests on a decision. I started off with, um, with, with uh, what's his name? John. John, who says of himself, the disciple whom the Lord loved. He says this of himself, and it's an amazing thing that he could say that, and, 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 and it could sound like, sound like he's just being full of himself when he says the, the, the disciple whom the Lord loved. But I think it, it stems from a very profound revelation on the love of God. And we work through all of this, and tonight, sort of attaching to the end, some of the results that is expected of us now that we love God and understand that love is poured out in our hearts, and because the love is poured out in our hearts, our Christianity is revealed in how we love other people. Your Christianity is not revealed in how you do signs and wonders. That's a sign to an unbeliever that this what we do is, is real. And you really can't fake it, a, a miracle. Uh, and if you do, it, it doesn't carry any substance. You can't conjure up a miracle just in front of somebody to prove to them that God is real. That's also not how it works. And, and signs and miracles are, it serve different reasons. But sometimes God does a miracle for you for not, nobody to see it, just for you. And God does these things. But, but the more pronounced way to reveal our Christianity to a broken world is through the love God has poured out in our hearts. It's, it's more so than the signs and wonders and gifts that we have as spoken about in 1 Corinthians. Because Corinthians 12 is followed up by Corinthians 13, which speaks of love, saying, if you have all these things, but you have not love, you're a clinging symbol. And so love is important. I want you to open your Bibles up. Let's see where we can start. I wonder which one. Ah. No. Let's start with a sinful woman. Sounds normal. Luke chapter 7. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. I don't know why these Pharisees, they suckle for punishment. Then one of these Pharisees asked him to go and eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. Behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, which means she was a man of woman. When she knew that Jesus sat at the table of the Pharisee's house, brought an ambassador flask of fragrant oil, 
and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now when the, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, he spoke to himself saying, he spoke to himself saying, this internal talk that we all have. Have you ever spoken to yourself? When the worship leader is singing and he's jumping a little bit too much to your liking, don't you have that silent internal talk? When, when we do the offering and the offering takes a little bit too long, we have this silent internal talk. And we always talk inside our minds. And, and, and I don't know, to, to be honest with you, trying to figure out this message tonight, I'm still figuring it out as we go. I've got all the scriptures there, but now you have to put it together like a puzzle. But the, the way it started was, and here's the note I wrote down before we got to this message, is that you have your mind. Worry about that. And we are much more concerned with other people's minds. Now your mind, what's amazing and a telltale sign that God wants you to be worried about your mind is that he put your mind in you. If he wanted you to be very concerned with what other people are thinking, he would have given you their mind. Now we think that God should have, that's why we give them a piece of our mind. <laughs> Not realizing that God didn't put your mind in them. It's like, if I wanted your opinion, I would ask for it. And we often so, so feel that we have to just give our opinion. And so this Pharisees is, is, is inviting Jesus. Jesus is a public figure by all means. Jesus is a public figure. He doesn't even know who Jesus is, but he invites him as a public figure. And they like to control the social environment in which all these things are happening in, in Jerusalem, etc. And so they invite Jesus in to their house. And this, this woman, uh, uh, this lady finds out Jesus is there and she comes in. I don't know how their houses works, but she just comes into that guy's house. I'm, I'm thinking if I invite somebody to my house and I see some of you just hanging around my house, it'll be strange. I'll alert the security team. And, and, but this woman comes nonetheless and she begins to wipe Jesus' feet with her hair, which is also a little bit weird, to be honest. We have different cultures. But she takes her hair, pours out this oil on his feet, begins to kiss his feet and begins to wipe his feet. And this Pharisee, he says, the Pharisees are brought, uh, we've been here, where are we now? Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would he know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him? For she is a sinner. He says to himself, if this was a, pro a prophet, how often have we stood in front of a situation and looked at a thing and tried to discount it so that we can elevate our, ourselves? We call it in, 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 in life, we call it uh, sizing someone up. Now, Obviously, you all got saved right out of, out of birth. Some of us were not that lucky to be just saved from day one. We had to go through the world for a moment. But I remember going out with my friends. You would size up guys, especially. So it's young Rama. You would size up one another. You don't get in a fight. You, you size the guy up. And that's where you make the mistake. Because sometimes the scary guys are not the ones that look the biggest. 
normally the skinny guys that you don't know is a ninja. Have you ever seen a fat ninja? You call them Teletubbies, not ninjas. Ninjas are sleek and skinny and small. And when they jump from something, you can't hear them. I used to pretend to be a ninja my entire life. Childhood was a ninja. I was a ninja. But, but you size up the guy. So, so Jesus has now recognized that Jesus asked Peter some, at some point, who do they say I am? And, and Peter says, some say you're a prophet. Some say you're Elijah that's come back. So there must be this understanding that Jesus is a prophet. Hence this guy thinking to himself, if he was a prophet. Isn't it so that we have a lot of visitors? We've had, I've, I thought today, uh, how many thousands of people has come through our church? This, this past two years, we've signed up people in numbering into thousands doing home run. We've had 15,000 people download our apps. Well, app, singular. It's got multiple functions. Have you checked out the app? Have you, have you checked if you can vote? You can check on our app if you can vote. Only reason you can't vote is if you're not of age or here illegally. Well, even if you're here illegally and you're not a South African, you can't vote. You can pray with us. But you can't vote. So 15,000 people, thousands of people has come through our church. People hear our stories about our church and our ministry and what we, we do. And, and, and it's not so just with our church, with any church that is, that tells people we're like what we used to call our type of church was happy clappies. Remember happy clappies? We don't clap that much. Now and then. It's because, it doesn't help now. It's too late. You missed your cue. It's like how we clap is to completely off rhythm as well. I was preaching at Pastor Cheryl Brady's church in America. I was out of my debt. And I'm sitting on the platform because they sit on, on platforms. Uh, we, I don't do that here. Uh, unless we're very, very full. But we sat on the platform. I'm standing on the platform. Everybody's looking and we're singing songs and it's, it's proper gospel music. And I'm just not clapping anymore. Because I can't keep to the rhythm and they change the rhythm so fast and that I, I can't keep up. It's impossible. But we used to be called happy clappies. And we get, so people would come and check us out and then they would go like, try and discount miracles, discount, um, not discount like you get a portion off. Like trying to dis, discredit would be a, a, a better word for it. They would discredit our signs and wonders that happens in charismatic churches or Pentecostal churches because they want to believe that it's not there. And now they have to find a reason that what we say is there is not there. And so this Pharisee is saying that if he was a prophet, so he is not inviting Jesus to learn more. He's there to find a problem with Jesus. Often that's how, how, how we do our Christianity. God can tell you now. The reason God can't tell you much about your future is you'll find a reason to say that it's not true. We like looking in the mirror and telling ourselves why what God wants to do cannot happen. We like looking at reasons why that can't happen for us. And because we've already convinced ourselves that good things can't come our way, we also have to do the same with other people. Because we don't want anything to change. We, we know the statement, Anytime you begin to change, 
people around you will begin to have take offense with you because they like you where you are at because they can navigate you where you're at. They can navigate life with you there. But when you begin to move out of your position, it makes it difficult for them to now understand where the things that they've gotten used to is. And maybe that will inflict on them the necessity to have to change. And so this, this Pharisee hears that Jesus is, is possibly hears that Jesus is a prophet. He thinks this thing and he comes into his house and, and, and Jesus there, this woman is busy doing her thing and, and he doesn't completely understand what, what this woman is doing because none of them has experienced this kind of surrender, this kind of, 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 of response from a person of her type. And she begins to wash his feet. And he says to himself, in himself, sitting in the room with the Messiah. I wonder how many times have we made a statement in our hearts that was wrong. I, I want to submit to you that you don't do that once a year. I think you do that on a daily basis. If we take, I'm coming, I'm working. Is that okay? Walk the, I, I'm going to walk this thing out slowly, step by step. If we take it in, in terms of racism in our country, how many times have we ascribed to people and how many times have we looked at people and, and discredited them based on their skin color? And vice versa towards you as well. In this country, how have we made decisions on how we have been raised to, be, to, to think, how we have been taught how to think, and based on that, make an assumption without being in the moment about people that we have to interact with on a daily basis, be it a colleague, be it at work, be it at wherever you're at, and lost what the gift is that is in that person because you've already find a reason not to believe that. In other words, there is a dominant truth in your mind that removes the ability of God to work through that person in your life. This is throughout all the scriptures. They did the same with Jesus saying, isn't he just a carpenter? They diminished his capacity by assigning to him a role that they thought he was supposed to function in. And here Jesus is the Messiah is on, in this Pharisee's house and he is not looking for proof that he is God. He is looking for proof that he is not God. And so, so this, this Pharisee is standing there and he's looking at Jesus and he, he sees this woman touching Jesus and he says to himself in his mind, he says, because in his mind, he's already painted a picture of what he thinks a prophet should be and do. He's already assigned to himself, he says, if a, if a prophet, because he's a Pharisee, and the Pharisees have certain behaviors, they, the Bible says they like standing on street corners praying for people to see them when they pray. When they do good deeds, they want to have a trumpet sound saying that they've done good deeds. And so they, he has a mindset, so he has a category of prophet. And in that category, he assigns behaviors that he thinks based on what? This is how a prophet should behave. And he is already subconsciously in his own mind said that this type of woman, you shouldn't get close to her. So Jesus comes in. He is a prophet, not a prophet like you think he should be. Not a prophet like that Pharisee thinks he should be. And this woman begins to touch him and he goes, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the proof I was waiting for. He doesn't say it out loud. 
doesn't say it out loud. He says, mm. he thinks it. If this was a prophet, then that should not happen. How many Christians have you discounted because if you're a Christian, that should not happen? How many times have you looked at Christians? Let's just be serious because in this church, I'm coming straight at you. I'm really, the antithesis, is that the right word, of a person that should get the church full. We build it up and then we chase them away. Like this morning I said, if you really want to be part of what we do, that's like the mumbo speech. I said, if you don't come to you groups, you don't really do what we need you to do. That's not how you get the church full. You should inspire them. Yes. So we're not here to, to we, we're straight about this thing. We're going to be logical about this. Anyway, let, let's try and finish this. So he's, he's got his uh, Christians. How many Christians do you think, have you ever heard this? Pastors. Nobody cares what you like or dislike. You think Jesus goes like, oh, made a mistake. If I just asked him what he likes, we could have gotten past it that he likes. But how many Christians have you said, or pastors or leaders, you said, if that's what a pastor does, people make the statement and think they're clever. You must have heard this. If that's what a Christian does, I don't want to be a Christian. Well, good luck in hell. <laughs> Do you think? Have you heard this statement? Have you ever heard the statement? If that's what a Christian does, I don't want to be a Christian. I, I, I'm thinking to myself, you must, you, you're confusing. You know what Christian means, that you, you need Christ. So if you are that perfect at the level that you think perfection should be at in the person, they would not need Christ. You need Christ if, especially for, specifically for that fact that you are not perfect. You are not perfect in any measure. You need Christ and for that, that's why Jesus Christ stepped into your world. And so Jesus, how many people if we discount it because we, we look at them and we say, if you are that we, so he looks at Jesus, he goes, he's a Pharisee, he looks at Jesus and he sees this sinful woman touching him. He says, if you were a prophet, you would know. And Jesus looks at him. But it's not this thing that disqualifies him, his inability to discern what is right from wrong. It's his behavior before he even, before Jesus even was touched by this woman. Watch this. Jesus answered him, Simon, Simon, I have something to say to you. Jesus kindly and gently says to him, Simon, Simon, I have something. Oh, not Simon, Simon. That's somewhere else in the Bible. He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he says, yes, teacher, say it. He just in his mind discredited Jesus and yet he calls him teacher. And so the certain, uh, Jesus says to him, Simon, I want to say something to you. He says, yes, teacher, say it. He says, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and another 50. And when they had nothing to which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who forgave more. He says to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. I came to your house. And you gave me no water for my feet, but she washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her ha hair, the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time that I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. 
So I, I, I tried in the last two or three weeks tell you that, that love is not in speech, it's in action. Love has to be expressed, not spoken. I can tell my wife that I love her to keep her quiet, but if I cheat on her, that exposes a lack of my love. I can't tell you that I love you. I have to show you that I love you. Jesus says, don't tell somebody, I pray for them, send them off, go be warm and hope that they get better. Do something about it. If you have to, the Bible also says, if you have the resources to help somebody who's in need and you don't do it, don't think that you have love in you. He says, if you hate your brother that you can see, how can you say that you love God whom you can't see? So love is expressed. Love is expressed. And this woman, since Jesus came in, expressed her love by the way she wiped her. Now, I'm telling you right now, if you're standing in a church service and we're singing a worship song and you're, you're, you're busy with everything except Jesus, maybe there's a lack of revelation of what Jesus did in your life. So this man is standing there and saying, he can't be a prophet because look at this woman. That's not where he got disqualified. He got disqualified but when Jesus walked into his house and his lack of honor is not just in his mindset that disqualifies this woman. He was disqualified by the way he, he received Jesus in the first place. Now, if you like it or not, Jesus has protocol. He has a protocol how he wants things done. You do not live out your Christianity and how you feel about it. Otherwise, you wouldn't have instructions in the Bible. The, the, the Ark of the Covenant was put on a cart with wheels and, and the presence was, and when, when Uzzah put out his hand, he died. Because there are rules, don't touch the ark. Don't touch my presence. There was a, the, in, the, in the time, I think it was Uzziah, the king that died, he went into the most holy place and lit a candle of incense and the priest said to him, what have you done? And he was upset with them calling him out, but he was a king, not a priest. He shouldn't have lit the candles or burned the incense at least. And he did it in spite of his role. Not, and he was upset and he was hit with leprosy. There is a process to how God is, uh, is approached. He wants to be approached. He says, you enter my courts with thanksgiving and my gates with praise. You don't come in with murmuring. God does not respond to your emotionalism. Because you don't display faith if you walk in depressed. You want to move, you, you, you think that you're going to manipulate God into fixing your problems. You won't do that. God responds to faith, not manipulation. God responds to faith and faith alone. And so this, Jesus walks into this guy's house. What he was supposed to do is offer him water for his hands and his feet to be washed. He doesn't do that because in his mind, he doesn't think he's a teacher. He's not inviting Jesus for the right reason. He's inviting Jesus to prove that he is not a teacher. This woman responds differently. The point of the whole story is that Jesus says, to whom much has been forgiven, much is loved. Who loves much. Now, if you stand in front of the mirror and you're very proud of yourself, I think you're, you're at a place where you might say, I don't need Jesus that much. And, and, and the lie about it is God has no issue with your wealth or your success. God has no issue because I've, I know rich people who are bad Christians and I know poor people who are bad Christians, both alike. You're not better or worse for being richer or poorer. But the fact is that money, it's very difficult to prove a rich man wrong because his money tells him he's right. And oftentimes you are in your own mind so clever about the things of God 
that you, 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 you don't recognize your need for God because sometimes finances gives you the ability to resolve issues that you, you actually have a lack in. And it covers up the area that you need God's grace in. You don't have patience, but money buys you out of your need for patience. You don't develop that virtue, the fruit of the Spirit, because you you don't, you're not in need of it. So Jesus is trying to say to him, listen, you have the, the robe on, you, you have the clothing on that tells me you're a Pharisee. This woman is a sinner, but your response was dishonorable when I walked into your house. This is not even her house and she has not stopped showing me honor. Now, the reason for the last 20 years that I've been serving Jesus, I have two brothers and two sisters. And all of them love Jesus, but there's a difference in our serving. The reason I do this is because when I was 18, 19 years old, I was completely lost and I was a mess and I, and I tried my very best to fit into everything else. And Jesus and I was praying in my, there was, they used to be in Sunny Park. You don't even, you're too young to even know where Sunny Park is. There was a nightclub called Monroe's and I was hanging out there in the parking area and I was sitting there in my car praying and I said, God, if you're real, where are you? Why does life hurt this much? And he didn't just let me pray once. He, let, he stood back and he watched me pray. And I prayed often like that prayer. And I was crying out to God, God, come and speak to you. Help me. And when one night when Jesus stepped into my world, he changed it all upside down. And for that reason, I cannot go back to where I was. It's not about wealth. It's not about money. It's not about success. It's not about being known. I still don't have a billboard with my face on it. I don't need that. That's not the point that we're doing this. I'm saying to you, if you can recognize your need for God, it will be in your display of how you live out that Christianity. Those who confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, the more they get to deal with you is, 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 is love on display by the small deeds going about doing good. That's what we ought to do. Let me try and finish. I, I, I had more than this. Let's see. I don't know if I should, maybe just this last verse. It says in 1 Thessalonians chapter number four. And in fact, you do love all God's family throughout Macedonia. He commends them, he says, you do in fact love all God's family. Let me just make this very, very clear. Every church and any church that confesses Jesus Christ to be Lord, this excludes many other churches that has Christian in the word. When you have the, Christian, the word Christian in your Logo, it doesn't mean you're Christian. You have Christian Scientology. It's got absolutely nothing to do with Jesus from Nazareth. That's not Christian by any measure. I don't know why they call it Christian Scientology. It's got nothing to do with Christianity. When you confess Jesus Christ as the Son of God, that he was born of a virgin, died on a cross, resurrected on the third day, and faith in him and faith alone, that's how you save, not by works, not by being good. That's what we confess. Any church that confesses that is right by me. If you begin to preach that the pastor is the one that needs to anoint you so that you make it into heaven, not Christian. That's not what we believe. But he says, so we are supposed to, so any church that does that is our brothers. I find it very strange that you, you leave your church. If anyone is in this room, you left your church, wherever you come from to join. So we're not on a mission to move people from churches and that's fine. Sometimes you do move. I'm happy with that. But that's not our mission. Our mission is to make, preach the gospel, 
get them to be saved. Then when you're saved, that's where God put you. If he wanted you in America, who would put you there? So if you come from another church and you left your church and you, and your, you, you left the church because you have an issue with the pastor, phone him tomorrow and fix it. Send him a text message, send him an email, say to him, Pastor, Xiamer, Axlach. Because you're discounting who, the, the office that God may have appointed him on. It's not within your responsibility to say God did or God did not. And he remains a brother in Christ. And if you, do, you have a problem with him, you're, gonna be, you're still going to be in the same heaven as he is. And I'm thinking God's going to make you neighbors. <laughs> Phone them and fix it. I'm not saying go back. I mean, if you're here now, you've been here for two years, but you left on the wrong foot, fix it with them. Tell them I'm not coming back. Pastor David, but fix it. Because you can't be upset with the church up the road. It's not two different things. It's not Springboks and All Blacks. <laughs> That's why the church is so empty tonight. People are still recovering from last night. That's why I don't have my voice all sorted out. But fix it. Because they're in the same case. He says, I, I know that you love, that you love all God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do more and more. As a Christian, don't do less and less. What I find this trend, that the older I am as a Christian, people make the statement, it's funny for me. I don't go to church because I already know. I, they can't teach me anything new. I already know all the stuff. If you knew all the stuff, you'd be the first in church. Because God doesn't take you to less and less. He takes you to more and more. He takes you to more and more. I'm learning and, and after also being, uh, having this function that I do here. This is not, this function doesn't determine my spirituality. It was determined long before I was a pastor. Now that I've been doing this for 20 years, I, I, I still learn every time I prepare for a message. I still grow preparing for every single message. And I discover that there is so much in me that still needs to grow and still needs to mature in Christ Jesus. I'm not, God is not running out of steam teaching me things. So he says, do even more and more. You, I, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do more and more. We've come this far. This was a tough year. We built this building right out of recession. But this is, this is what God did here. So that's 2023. In two months from now, that'll be a year old. We need to do more and more. What if we could replicate what God is doing amongst you? Last night, there was probably more than a thousand, I don't know, a thousand something plus people. Thousand, I want to say a thousand five hundred. There was a thousand five hundred people here last night. We spent an hour walking around this building praying and then watching rugby together. Good, clean, I want my children there. I would much rather have my children there than in a nightclub being beaten to a pulp by a bouncer. We need to repeat this as far and as much as possible. Imagine what can happen to a nation if a bunch of Christians would rise up and say, we're not here to make a name, we're here to represent a name. We're here to represent Jesus in everything we do.
Where, where, where our feet goes, the provision of heaven goes. Where our feet touch the ground, the kingdom of God has expanded. What if God can begin to use us in a mighty way like that? Sit down for a second and then we'll sing. Worship team, you can come down here, please. He says, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, do more and more. And to make it your ambition, make it your ambition. You've got a lot of ambition. Make this your ambition. To lead a quiet life. Mind your own business. This is what it says. He put it there right after a colon. Put it on the screen. Is that what it says there in your Bibles too? And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business. Mind your own business. Let me hear from your perfect little voice what he did wrong. I mean, your life must be a blueprint of how a Christian should behave, right? Mind your own business. Your mind is in your head. Get your mind on your body. Get your mind what you're doing. Stop, stop comparing yourself. There's a verse that says this. Did I copy it? In 2 Corinthians 10, it says, we do not dare classify ourselves, classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. Stop playing a measurement game. God made you what he made you. First accept that. Then get your mind to focus on what you do. Stop pointing fingers at what other people are doing wrong. Get your own fingers to point at what you're busy doing. Put your hands to the work that God has put before you and see God take that and multiply that. But if you keep on making other people's mistakes your business, you're being distracted by the enemy. This Pharisee, we don't read of him again. I don't think we read of him again. We never read of him again because he was so busy with wondering what Jesus was up to. He wasn't busy wondering about how he is receiving Jesus. If his house was in order and he was really a man of substance, the way he would have received the guests in Jewish tradition would have been very different than the way he received Jesus. Jesus, his relationship with Jesus was disqualified in the way he received him when he walked through the door. And he only revealed it by the way he talked to himself about that woman. The way he talked about that woman is revealed in the small steps that you don't even see yourself doing. He's disqualified long before he begins to speak. Let us get our, let us get our attention on what we do. What can you do this week? What can you make, what can you do differently? I talk to so many young people. I tell them, don't be your dad's pastor. You're not his, you're not his pastor. You're not his pastor. You're his son or his daughter. The Bible tells you, honor your parents, not teach your parents. They're given to teach you. Submit and honor your parents. Love them. Honor them. And when you do that, that's a much better witness and a testimony of the goodness of God in your life than it is to correct your dad. If you love them, that gives them a much better opportunity to see what Jesus did in your life. Because the capacity to do that under stress in your own house speaks volumes for what God is busy doing in you. Don't be a dad's pastor. Love them. Honor them. Every now and then, make them a cup of coffee. If you're still living under their roof. Even if you don't take them a cup of coffee, Seattle. But let our behavior, not, not in our noise. But in the small things, the way we respond, if you give someone your word, keep it. 
The Bible says, let your yes be yes. When you say yes, just do it. When you start something, finish it. If you give somebody your word, make sure that you perform it. You know how much money I've lost in business because I've committed to something? But I would rather lose the money than lose my word. This is how businessmen should be, begin to behave because you are a Christian and you represent a name, not your name, his name. And by that name is how you get into heaven one day. It's not about how much we amass in this world. God is not offended by it. I'm not, I don't care about that. But it's not about how much we make. It's about how we give every next step under his banner.